Hope you have your Bibles with you tonight, and I invite you to open them to the book of James chapter 4, James chapter 4 this evening, and I want us to think for a little while tonight about what we read in James 4 and verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Bible tells us that we are to resist the devil. And there are several things that are implied in that statement. First of all, when we look at the context of James 4 verse 7, resisting the devil seems to be the answer to many of the problems that have been described going back to the beginning of chapter 3. You remember that James talks, for example, about the power of the tongue, and he talks about how the tongue has the power to do good, but the tongue also has the power to do evil. He talks about two kinds of wisdom at the end of chapter 3, verse 18, through the, or 13, excuse me, through the end of the chapter, the wisdom that is from above and then the wisdom that is from below, and he talks about the fruit and the characteristics of both of those kinds of wisdom And that wisdom that is from below, he says, is sensual and devilish and self-seeking. He says that it produces envy and uh, self-seeking and confusion and every evil work. And then in chapter 4, the first six verses, he talks about war and fighting and conflict. And he says, these things come, they come from your desires, that uh, your desire for pleasure that battles or fights within your members. So I say all that to say this, these types of things that are sinful, these sinful behaviors, if we're going to resist those things, then we need to obviously, James 4, 7, resist the devil. If we resist the devil, then we'll also resist these things that are of the devil. That's one thing that's implied from the statement, but here's a second one. The second thing that's implied from the statement is that it's not an impossibility. I think sometimes, maybe not so much in the church, but in the world, when people think about the devil, you know those old sayings like the devil made me do it and so on. It's almost as if sometimes in the world we have this concept that the devil is someone that we're always going to be fighting, but that we never really are going to be able to defeat. I don't think that that's consistent with what God's word teaches. And I don't think that if it was impossible for us to stand firmly against the devil that God would say do it because God's not going to tell us to do something that's impossible for us to do. So maybe we sometimes have a defeatist mentality. We start already assuming that we're not strong enough to defeat the devil's advances and so when we find ourselves falling, when we find ourselves losing a battle from time to time, we just accept defeat as if it was a foregone conclusion. That shouldn't be our mentality. Our mentality should be, God says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says to do it. That means I can do it. And if I do it, then the results that God say will follow will follow. And that is the devil will flee from us. So tonight, here's the question. How can we do it? That's what we want to think about. Practically speaking tonight, how can we resist the devil? And I want to suggest to you, again, by way of of practical application, I would like to suggest to you nine things, nine items tonight that will help us to resist the devil. First of all, look at the context of the verse where the command is found, verse 7. What's the first thing that's found in James 4, 7? 
Submit to God. How can I resist the devil? It begins by submitting to God. In fact, some uh, expositors would suggest that this phrase, submit to God, is actually the heading for the section of Scripture in James 4 that starts here and goes throughout the chapter for the next several verses. So submission to God is the first thing, and then resisting the devil follows logically from it. Remember this morning we talked for just a minute about Romans chapter 8 and how in Romans chapter 8 the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual mind versus the carnal mind. Romans 8 verse 6 through 9. And he says that the, um, excuse me, 5 through 9. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the difference between the carnal-minded and the spiritual-minded person is that the carnally-minded person refuses to submit themselves to the will of God. The spiritual person submits himself willingly to the will of God. So when James 4, 7 says, submit to God, what, is that, what does that tell me? That tells me that what I need to do is humble myself, go back to James chapter 1, Remember when James talks about verse 21, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receiving with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul? When I humble myself and submit to the will of God, then I have done something that will, that will put me on the way to resisting the devil because I'm not submitting to him, I'm submitting to God. Number two. If I'm going to resist the devil, I also need to realize and understand that he is real. There are some folks in the world that uh, would view what the Bible says about the devil as a personification. He's a personification of evil, or he's a metaphor of some kind. But the Bible speaks of the devil from beginning to end as an intelligent being, an actual being who opposes God and opposes the work of God and opposes the people of God. He is not he is not a depiction or a personification or an illustration. He is real. Just listen to some of the things that the Bible says about him. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse number 1. In that passage, the Bible says that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Job 1 and 2, Job, uh, Satan is described as one who is walking to and fro in the earth and up and down it. Acts 5 and verse number 3, uh, it, Satan is the one who filled Ananias' heart. John 12 and verse 31, he is described as the ruler of this world. And in John 8 and 44, he's described as a liar and a murderer. And Jesus said to those Jews who were listening to him on that occasion, he's your father. He says, you are of your father, the devil. So all of these passages, and that's just a small sampling, so many more throughout the Bible in both the Old and New Testaments, they speak of the devil, and they don't speak of him as an illustration or something that's imaginary. They speak of him as an actual being who really does exist. And if we're going to resist him, then that begins by understanding that he's not a figment of our imagination, that he actually is real. Number three, if we're going to resist the devil... We need to understand that he works. 
that he's active. Again, that he is not a figment of our imagination, but that he actually is real. Listen to what, um, listen to what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11 say about the devil. In Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, we are told to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at that word wiles. The word wiles is the idea of methods. It's sort of like saying the devil has a toolbox, and so he is able to open up his toolbox, and he's able to select whatever tool is appropriate for whatever it is that he is uh, attempting to do. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, in verse number 4, he would say, um, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine to them. So when you think about Ephesians 6, 11 and 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we have two passages that tell us that the devil is alive and that he is active. Remember 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 where the Bible talks about the devil as one who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he is active and he is working and he has a toolbox and he is able to use those tools and those methods whenever he sees fit. What are some of those tools or some of those methods? Here are just a few. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3, the Apostle Paul talks about Satan as one who seeks to deceive he talks about how, the, uh, Paul talks about how he is fearful that just as uh, the devil was able to deceive Eve, that, that uh, he might be able to deceive them as well. And later on in that chapter, he talks about in verses 13 and following how Satan will transform himself into an angel of light and how he has ministers who uh, disguise themselves in the same way. He walks about, 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8, And in the book where we find our theme passage for tonight, James chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. Remember, James talks about temptation. And he said, when a man is tempted, let him not say, I am tempted of God, because God can't be tempted with evil, neither does God tempt any man with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, James says. James 1, verse 14 to 17. So the devil's desire in his working is to lead us away from God. And so we've got to be ever mindful and always watching for his advances. Sometime read Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 13. And notice how the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of always being awake and always being watchful and always being mindful. And that passage, again, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, remember he begins it by saying, Be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We, if we're going to resist the devil, we're going to have to know that he works and be mindful of his methods and be watching for them. Here's another thing. Number four, we need to spend time meditating on God's word. You know, we can never place too much emphasis on reading and learning and studying and meditating and memorizing the word of God. If every sermon had a point about, about the importance of knowing and applying God's word, that still wouldn't do that theme or that point justice. Because the Bible from beginning to end is constantly emphasizing the importance 
of understanding and filling our hearts and our minds with God's word, especially as it pertains to our subject tonight, and that is resisting the devil and overcoming temptation. Think about some of these passages. What do we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and following? Remember, it's the uh, record of the temptation of Jesus And this is not new territory for us. Remember that the devil quotes scripture three different times. And how does Jesus answer the devil every time he's tempted? Well, he quotes scripture as well. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so Jesus uses the scripture to overcome the temptation of the devil. What about Psalm 119 and verse 9? In that passage... The psalmist says, how can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers his question when he says, by taking heed to the word of God. And then two verses later, in Psalm 119 and verse number 11, the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Now that's such a simply stated passage, but when you really think about the power that it has when, it, when we apply it, it's, it's almost mind-blowing. Can I ask you a question? Whenever you find yourself facing temptation, how do you deal with that temptation? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, someone might say, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is I pray. And that's certainly a good answer. There's nothing wrong with that. Someone else might say, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is to reach out to a a brother or sister in Christ to get some encouragement and some support. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But I would like to ask you tonight, does scripture come to your mind immediately? The psalmist said, your word is hidden in my heart, and the reason why I've hidden it in my heart is so that I might not sin against you. Does someone struggle with lust? I wonder if we have committed to memory passages of scripture that deal with lust, and we can recall those to our minds whenever we face the temptation. Does someone struggle with anger? Does someone struggle with jealousy? Does someone struggle with fill in the blank? What if we open up God's word and we find passages of scripture that deal with those things and we write them down and we read them and we think about them and we memorize them so whenever we find ourselves dealing with those things, it's not prayer or calling on a brother or sister in Christ that comes to our minds first, although there's nothing wrong with that, but instead it's God's word that's reminding us immediately that this is wrong, and here's what God says about it, and here's how God says we can overcome it. That's the idea of hiding the word of God in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. It is a preventative measure. What about Psalm 37 and verse 30 and 31? The The psalmist says this, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of his justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. In Proverbs 2, verse 10 and following, Solomon, remember he is talking to uh, his son, and this is what he says. Proverbs 2, verse number 10, he says, When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, and then he begins to say, here's what's going to happen. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And he just continues on. 
I want you to understand, he says, that when wisdom and knowledge, when that's within you and that's what you desire, then here's what's going to happen. And to summarize it, he says, you're going to be directed away from evil. You're going to be directed away from the path that the devil wants you to travel down. Well, that's what happens when we meditate on God's word and fill our hearts and our minds with that word so that we're thinking about it on a regular basis and so that we can recall it, especially when we're facing a, when we're facing a temptation to sin. How can we resist the devil? We need to know the word of God. We submit to God and we submit to his will and we fill our minds with his will. And then if we'll do that, there's no room left over to submit to the devil and to submit to the devil's will and to fill our mind with his will. Number next, five, look for the way of escape. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13? Paul said that there is no temptation that is, uh, there is no temptation that a man will Uh, that a man will uh, endure than that which is common to man. And with every temptation, God has provided a way of escape. I wonder how often we think about that passage when dealing with temptation, again, with the defeatist mentality that I think that exists in some folks. We automatically assume that we're just too weak and we're not going to win. So when temptation comes, we give into it and we shrug our shoulders as if we we were doomed to defeat from the very beginning. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says when there's a temptation, there is a way to to escape from it. There's a way to overcome it. We just simply have to learn to stop and look for it. How often do you stop and look for the way of escape that's there? Some of the points we're talking about tonight may very well be the answer. Maybe it's recalling a passage of scripture to our minds or something else. Maybe it's... um, praying or looking for help in some other area, but the way of escape is there. We just simply have to train ourselves to look for it. Number six, when we're trying to resist the devil, we ought to, um, we ought to pray for wisdom. James 1 verse 4 and 5, again, James is talking about trial. It's a different kind of trial. It's not a seduction to sin. It's a testing of faith, but I think the principle can still be applicable here. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. He is the giving God and he desires to give. That's the idea. And so James says, if you need wisdom in order to deal with these difficulties, these testings of faith, then pray about it and seek that wisdom from God. Well, we ought to do the same thing when we're talking about dealing not with a testing of faith necessarily, but with a seduction to sin, with with the devil Pray to God for wisdom and strength so that we might be able to resist him. Number seven, we need to fill our hearts and our mind with things that are pure. One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter four and verse eight, because I think the application is uh, infinite. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are noble and just and Uh, pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Look at the word meditate. It has to do with setting your mind toward. It has to do with filling your mind with. Again, there's effort here, just like this morning from Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4, when we talked about setting our affection or our minds on things that are in heaven and how that that, uh, requires effort. When Paul talks about things that are lovely and pure and true and just and wholesome, and he says we need to fill our hearts and our minds with these things, this involves effort. It involves careful attention. Our minds can't be filled with things 
that we never put in our minds to begin with. That's the idea. So we've got to turn away from things that are unholy, and we've got to turn to things that are holy. And where are we going to find those things? We're going to find them here. Go back to our previous point on meditating on God's Word. If we're not spending time in the Scripture, in the Word of God, then we're not filling our hearts and our minds with things that are good and holy and pure. And if we're not filling our hearts and minds with things that are good and holy and pure, then there's room left over for things that are impure and unholy and not good. Think on things that are pure. Number eight, we need to associate with God's people. You know the passage, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. The scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know the context of that passage has to do with building one another up and with helping one another to stay faithful and to stay the course and not give up and leave the faith. It's really sad to me, to be perfectly honest with you, it's really sad to me when we see a brother or a sister in Christ who's struggling with sin and struggling to overcome Satan, and sometimes they'll come and they'll talk to you and they'll say, I'm struggling with this so much, but the person who is struggling and wants to overcome is the same person who is not taking advantage of the assembly of the saints. The person who's wondering, why is it that I'm having such a hard time dealing with the devil and dealing with sin in my life is also a person who is not faithful to the assembly of God's people. And listen, assembling with God's people to worship God, it's for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying God, yes, but there's also benefit in that for me and for my own spiritual well-being. Part of the reason why we gather together is to build one another up and to serve as a source of strength for one another. And when we separate ourselves from God's people, we have cut off a source of strength. And so no wonder we're struggling in our lives. No wonder we struggle with the devil and with sin and with so many other things. We're not coming back to one of the avenues of spiritual strength that God gives us, and that is assembling with his people. Number nine... If we're going to resist the devil, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Some of us may be able to quote it. We need to abstain from every appearance of evil. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says. I think sometimes our mentality is that we're going to get as close to it as we can without actually touching it. That's not a biblical mindset. The biblical mindset should be Ephesians 5 and verse number 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The biblical mindset should be walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and following. The biblical mindset should be I want nothing to do with sin or anything associated with it. I only want to associate and connect myself with righteousness. And if I see that there's a problem and there's danger here, I am going to turn away from it. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 5 to the young preacher, he would say you need to flee Run away from youthful lusts and these things that, uh, that fight and war against the soul. And he would say as a follow-up to that, but follow after righteousness and godliness and peace and so on. There's nothing wrong with running away from things. There's nothing wrong with running away from wickedness. In fact, that's what the Bible says that we need to do. 
How can we possibly hope to defeat and resist the devil if we are associating ourselves and tying ourselves closely to the things that are associated with him? The Bible says resist the devil. Back to James chapter 4. Again, James 4 and verse number 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to keep in mind two very important things, and those are the two things with which we started. Number one, as you look in the context of James 3 and 4, and you see some of the problems that James addresses and how they are reaping havoc within God's people in these two chapters, be mindful of the fact that the way to get away from and do away with those problems is to what? Resist the devil. But also be mindful of the fact that when God says resist the devil and he will flee from you, he's not talking about something that is theoretical. He's talking about something that actually can happen. The question is whether or not we're willing to submit ourselves to God, draw near to God, humble ourselves in the sight of God, and do the things that the Bible outlines for us that will help us to resist the devil. We can do it. We just simply have to choose to do it. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation tonight. And there may be someone here this evening that has a need to respond, maybe to become a child of God. Maybe though you are a child of God, and as you think about this life that we're living, maybe it's the case that you've not been resisting the devil. You've been allowing the devil to have his way in your life. Maybe it's the case that you're not taking advantage of some of the avenues that God has uh, has. Um, uh, set up for us in his word, uh, some of these things, these tools, if you will, that God gives us to be able to fight against the devil and his advances. Can we help you tonight? Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you and strengthen you in some way? If you have a need, won't you come